Dowdy, Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast this week, NFL Draft Week on the High Motor Podcast, and we're seeing some comments from, from NFL teams through uh, media that mock drafts are even more inaccurate this year than in years past, and take that for however you like, but it does seem within reason that the NFL's groupthink, and some people have written articles on this, that the NFL's groupthink has kind of been squashed with this halted pre-draft process as as those scouts and GMs aren't spending as much time together, which means hopefully, in my opinion, hopefully we'll get some more shocking picks throughout the entire weekend. And along those lines, the squashing of groupthink, Mark Jarvis, um, I wouldn't call him one of the, the mainstream NFL draft analysts, but from people that I've spoken with, he seems you know well-respected with his evaluations, and he's routinely somebody that, that goes with a contrarian view. And last week, he released his big board. I think he released it like last Thursday or Friday. And number three on that board is Cal Safety Ashton Davis. And those of you who follow draft stuff closely, you know that Ashton Davis at number three is really something that, that no other draft analyst has. Most draft analysts have him somewhere in the second or third round. But kudos to Mark for, for just following his eye and following his valuations. And this leads me to my question for the resident contrarian we have on the show, Chase A. Kitty of Richmond VA. And Chase, I asked you over the weekend what your most unpopular opinion is, uh, an opinion that I don't have a number. Like you're certain that less than 10% of the people that you would talk to would agree with. Not many people that you talk to would agree with this. And we're going to skip over your most unpopular opinion because um, – <laughs> It's really something, and go to something a little bit lighter. What is your your most unpopular opinion that won't literally have people coming to your doorstep with torches tomorrow? Uh, the founding fathers are overrated. Wow. Yeah. How do you, how do you even come to that conclusion? Um. All right. So here's the deal, uh, and this is I think one take that. There, there, there are like sibling takes of this, and they're Wait, all. Hold on. So when I asked you this, and then I think you said like, "Yeah, I might have one." Is this something that you think about regularly, or you're sitting there thinking, "You know what?" Founding no, I think about this really all the time. Dim. I think really? about this all the time. I, I believe like the parent take of this is that we just we don't think critically about stuff enough. This is such a liberal arts argument, but like we we just I don't know we don't think about stuff enough. So when I watch like sports you know, radio or, or the news, they try to tackle these insanely complex conversations that need tons of context. And they try to do it in like six minutes before they hit their commercial break. It's just, we, we don't, we don't think about stuff and have enough context. So when I see, you know, the, the founding fathers in a lot of ways were geniuses, the, the way they laid out government with absolutely no sort of preamble to any of the things they designed that it, it all of this like democratic government stuff a lot of it came from scratch right they just invented modern government and it, all of that's incredible but a lot of times people think they're being like real clever or wise by quoting founding fathers and a lot of them just don't make any sense in the modern time so i'll give you an example because i'm speaking sort of broadly and i probably don't make any sense um a lot of quotes, especially right now, one of the things you hear is the Benjamin Franklin quote, uh, people who give up a little bit of temporary security uh, to afford themselves safety deserve neither security nor safety or some, something along those lines. Uh, it's a really dumb quote for modern times. It's really stupid. 
it makes all the sense in the world if it's 1765 and there's a fat guy sitting on a golden throne somewhere in London who's running half the world. Like, yeah, don't let that guy in your shit. I totally understand why he said it. It made all the sense in the world at the time. You can't apply that in 2020. It's a totally different universe that we're living in, right? And and you hear it a lot. You heard it a lot after 9-11, and now you hear it a lot uh, with with all the coronavirus stuff, and, and they are using biometric screening tools in South Korea, and you know they're using drones in Europe to make sure people aren't walking around where they're not supposed to, and they're social distancing and all this stuff. And I, I understand those things. I would be a little uncomfortable with it. But there's a lot of things in the world right now that are uncomfortable because of coronavirus. This this seems to stem from, and this is something we both talk about, is an obsession to put everything into a bucket and and to say just, I don't know what the answer is. This doesn't fit in a bucket. I don't know. We talked about this before we hopped on here, and this is getting a little bit deeper into stuff. We don't mean it to be that kind of a show here. But those of you, for the record, I don't know if things should reopen with the virus. I have no idea. I'm just going to leave that to the scientists and doctors. For those of you who are arguing it should reopen, what's the number? Like, what is the death total or what's the fatality rate where you say it's okay? And I am certain you don't know that number. But obviously you think that a number exists. Is it, if I said 50,000 or is it 52,000 or is it 200,000? It seems like the same type of argument that you're making there is that it is okay to just say I don't know or this situation does not fit into an historical bucket that we can make some some fun quote for and put it on Instagram. Yeah, there's there's no like right answer for a lot of this. It, it's you know in a lot of ways it's a really unprecedented situation. We've had pandemics before, but we never had the technology or the medical infrastructure or all these things to completely shut down the government and like stop everything. You know, in 1918, the approach, I wasn't there. Uh, I don't know if you were there. I, I'm guessing here, but I'm pretty sure the approach was probably just like, well, lots of people are going to die. Let's keep living our lives. You know, like there, <laughs> I know there were certain social distancing things put into place in, in places like St. Louis and, and other places, but nothing like I don't, I think what we're doing right now, it, where we're totally stopping the economy and I, I think there is a conversation that you have to have. Like you said, we don't want to go too far into coronavirus stuff. But you can't just indefinitely stop everything till there's no more coronavirus. But when I want to, I want to kind of make a caveat for you. You are not even really taking a side here. You're just no. suggesting that, guys, the world change. I mean, look at the world now versus two months ago, let alone versus 250 fucking years ago. <laughs> Like some context is important. And I think when you like to go back to the original point, like it's, it's totally different. It's a totally different world now than it was in 1775. And to try to transpose a quote that was born and molded from that universe, that 18th century colonial world, and then like put it in a Facebook quote in 2020 and like, man, I sound smart. I just quoted Benjamin Franklin. Like it's it's just harder than that. It's harder than that to be smart. You can't just quote something from a long time ago. And going back to the intro on the draft, and we're going to talk about a little bit more draft stuff here in a little bit. I think this kind of apply, well, applies to a lot of things in sports. And, and when I'm sitting here looking at these draft rankings, 
it's interesting seeing some of like the the older generation analysts and scouts still listing you know your your standard positions they are ranking the guards they're ranking the centers whereas some of the the newer age like the draft network or some of these guys that, that rely more heavily on analytics and spark scores it's interior offensive linemen um, interior defensive linemen, edge guys. There's no specific defensive end, defensive tackle, nose tackle. Yet you have these older age people that are still trying to fit everybody into these buckets of these positions that we, we created, what, 75, 80 years ago in football? And they refuse to just say, there really isn't just a, a, a center. You're not just going to draft a center and put them in. Yeah, it might work that way, but it's interior offensive line, it's offensive tackle, it's interior defensive line, it's edge rusher. There aren't these positions anymore that everybody just shoves their people into, and we've seen that's how teams have failed by by shoving different uh, players and positions into positions that they just think exist for historical context. And that's some of the concern that I've heard from draft analysts saying they're worried. Like if Isaiah Simmons were to go to New York, they're worried that the Giants might not know how to use him like Brent Venables did. And I think that kind of applies. Can I give you... I have my most unpopular opinion sitting right here, and I, I want to get away a little bit. I, I appreciate your opinion, but I want to get away a little bit from from the political stuff. And this is something that this is something that I've I've said to you here, and I think this is probably my most unpopular opinion is that I don't do any sort of superhero movie, no supernatural. It, it must be real life. I won't even try a movie or a TV show that's in any of those genres. It's not a matter of me liking it. I won't even try name. Name the most popular or the most mainstream movie in that type of genre over the last five or ten years. I am certain that I have not seen it. <laughs> what, what 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 what's the most po- like Avatar, Avengers? Nope. Oh, uh, it None would be them. Infinity War. Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you what the story is. We could sit here and list. Do you watch comedians in cars getting coffee? I do. There was an episode with Will Ferrell where Jerry Seinfeld asked him, like, what is your favorite movie lately or something? And Will Ferrell said, I, I don't watch any movies. And Seinfeld said, there's no way that's right. And Will said, okay, name a movie. And I can't remember what, which ones he named. It was like Gravity and, and Fruit Volley Station or something. And Will's like, nope. Same deal here. You can name whatever superhero movie, and I guarantee you I've never seen it. I think they're terrible. Um, I would definitely remember... be in the bottom 10% of that. I think it was Martin Scorsese who who said that he doesn't consider superhero movies to be like cinema. Like he just kind of thinks they're like low level, like opiate of the masses garbage. So are you in that camp or are no. you just uninterested? Period. I get why you like that, and I get why you play Mass Effect. I don't understand how that. Let me. I get why you do that. Why somebody would like that thing. What I struggle with is where's the real life aspect of it? And I get that there's themes and that's why like Pixar is so successful because they can write stories like nobody else can. So I understand the story part of it. I struggle with, doesn't it feel like a waste of your time? That's my (laughs) problem. Does it ever feel like a waste of your time to watch Avengers? Well, with, with, with Avengers, not to get super comic booky here. That's a more complicated question because it's a universe of films. And so, like, the more you watch, the more invested you feel in the ongoing story. So by the time you get to Infinity War, you've put, like, I don't know, 45 hours into watching these movies. And and you just want to know how it ends. 45? What are there, 10 movies? Uh, I think they were, like... 19 or 20, yeah, by the time they got to Infinity War, which kind of... So it's more of an emotional investment than anything else. 
It's time and an emotional investment. Sure, yeah. I would say more time than emotion. Because I'm, I, I like the movies, but I'm not somebody who is like getting on Twitter to tell you how much I deeply emphasize, uh, empathize with like the plight of Tony Stark or something. You know, it's it's a good story, and I like the way it's told. Do you like them more or or less than real life movies? And I don't even say a true story, but things that we, we both love. Newsroom. A lot of the stuff they do is based around true stories. But the newsroom itself is fictional. Do you like a an Infinity War more or less than a story that could be real? Um, I, I don't think I like more or less. I just I like I, I like a good story that's well told. Uh, and, and Infinity War in particular, not to get super like art house coffee guy on you, but like the some of the creative choices they make with Infinity War, where they position the bad guy as actually the protagonist. When you look at the layout and the actual rhetorical arc of the film, they they invert uh, the the hero's journey, which is sort of this like twelve step literary thing. I know I'm like way now in in AP Lit for people listening to this, but they invert the hero's journey and they give it to the bad guy. So creatively, I, I was really I thought Infinity War was actually one of the best movies I've ever seen. Take out all the comic book parts, uh, but I think to answer your question. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like, you know, my favorite TV show is The Wire. There is, I mean, that's all granola in The Wire. It's very, very, like, grounded, and there's no, you know, there's no superpowers. There's nothing like that. And, and you know, you like Breaking Bad for probably the exact same reason. Like, the drama is good, but it's very grounded, and to to some extent, it's, it's almost like a period piece of, like, 2008, and, the you know, it's a great character study. There's so many great things about Breaking Bad. Uh, I was going to throw you a little bone there. <laughs> and say nice things about Breaking Bad. What for those of you listening? What is your most unpopular opinion? Hit us up on Twitter at High Motor Pod. When I say unpopular opinion, again, I, I'm thinking if you go up to a hundred people, less than ten of them would agree with you on that opinion. We spend so much time formulating these opinions and thinking, like when you tweet something. Yeah, I know that people will just tweet something when they're thinking of it, but a lot of the time they'll, they'll craft the tweet and think, well, is this a good opinion? Is this going to get likes? Is this going to get retweets? And then a lot of people will just delete the ones that don't. What is your most unpopular opinion that you wouldn't normally tweet? Tweet it at us, at High Motor Pod. Can I give you a sibling take of my founding father's take? It's not that I think Michael Jordan's overrated. I, we don't know how to talk about his 6-0 and in the finals thing. We, we have no idea how to, as a society, as a sports society, we don't know how to process that information. Is the reason for that, and this is a school of thought that I am leading, I subscribe to this heavily. I just talked about this on the 10-12 um, podcast with Phillips Lavin a couple weeks ago. I'm of the belief that even though sports have changed, and I know that the word soft gets thrown around, sports are generally softer than they were rules have have forced sports to to adapt and i don't necessarily have a problem with that but even though we have that athletes from 20 30 40 years ago would not survive and would not play in these days i think that basketball is is maybe the exception because of how the rules have changed but i'm of the belief that football players 20 30 years ago would never be on a football field today because of how much the human body has changed I think some of that applies to basketball. Do you think there's some comparison there by wondering, because, I mean, this is the stupidest debate ever, and I think that you're on board with me, LeBron versus Jordan. 
I do not give a shit. You talked about a couple of weeks ago that you're sick of, well, which conference is better, the ACC or the SEC? I don't care. Just play the games and we'll enjoy them. I get so sick of the LeBron-Jordan debate, and it obviously happens because we can't compare them. 25 years ago, the game has changed so much. So do you think that, that we don't know how to talk about Jordan because we don't know how good Jordan would be today? Is that a piece of it? That's that's definitely a piece of it. I think my main piece of it is it, this is this is a Jordan conversation, but I I think it has it tendrils all over sports and it ties back to my whole we don't we don't understand critical thinking thing. Uh r- championships are so overvalued when we talk about sports and legacy and all this stuff. Like people, and it's just an easy out. It, people can look around and go, you know, Michael Jordan's the best because he's 6-0 in the finals. And there's you don't have to watch him play. You don't have to think about anything. It's just rings, yo. 6-0. I don't, you know, LeBron has fewer, so he must not be as good. Uh, you know, and I, I'm, I was an early draftee of the whole, well, if Jordan's the best because he has six rings, doesn't that mean that, you know, Bill Russell has 11 is Bill Russell twice as good as Michael Jordan? Like it's it's just such an easy out. It's it should be one piece of how we talk about somebody's legacy, and not the topic sentence and the whole first paragraph. Which well, is and what it's it a team is. sport. We're not sitting here talking about Michael Phelps. I mean, that's easy. Like, sure, the athletes' bodies are different. Michael Phelps would obviously dominate thirty years ago, and swimmers from thirty years ago would never be in a pool in the Olympics today. But it's a team sport. There are too many variables. And again, going back to what you said in Founding Fathers early is that we all want to put everything into a bucket when with team sports, we can't do that. And even with basketball, sure, you only have, what, 12 guys on a roster. It's different than having 120 college football players. But there are still so many variables with 82 games. Why, why can't we just appreciate each player and just say LeBron's amazing, Jordan's amazing? I mean, who gives a shit who's better? Why, why does that matter? And why is it a knock to lose in the finals. That's another bit that I like don't... Like, you won three... I don't know how... I think the format was the same. I don't know. I don't remember NBA that well back in back in the 80s and 90s. I think the format was still the same, where you win three series. Like, you won three playoff series to get there. Like, you're one of two of 30 teams that are left. There are people that really think... I, I really believe that, you know, LeBron's finals record gets thrown around a lot and fine. He's lost a lot of finals. I, I'm not arguing that. That's a fact. But I think there are people who really believe that LeBron's legacy would be stronger if he had lost in the Eastern Conference Finals more often. That in, instead of going to the Finals and losing to the Spurs in 2007, or the Warriors in 15, or the Warriors in 17, or the Warriors in 18, if he had lost in the Eastern Conference Finals, somehow he would be better because he didn't lose in the Finals. Or like... If Tom Brady, Tom Brady's five and three in the Super Bowl, which is an incredible mark. But like, is Tom Brady better if he lost in the AFC Championship game? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Well, and it's also the comparison of is like six and four in the Super Bowl better than five and three? Well, yeah, because he won the extra one. Or versus, let's say he's five and one. I know he's five and three, but let's say he's five and one. If he was six and four instead, would that be better? Well, yeah, obviously, because he got to two more Super Bowls and he won one more. But it wouldn't feel like it was better because then you'd have the memory of another Super Bowl loss. It yeah, so dumb. That's a great point. Yeah, it's just we don't we don't know how to have these conversations. We don't know how to. Th- it's it's all about rings. It's all simplified. It's all binary. It's it's too easy. We got to think more. Yeah, at High Motor Pod, tweet us at High Motor Pod. Let us know your most unpopular opinion. Maybe we can uh, 
Talk about those on the show next week. One more NFL draft thing before we move on. You told me last week that you don't bet on the NFL draft. I think you said that you've taken one prop ever. Uh, you're not taking any of the prop bets this year. You haven't even looked at them. Like C.D. Lamb over under 12.5 draft, draft slot. Justin Herbert is 5.5. Um, over under 3.5 Big 12 players in the first round. You're betting on Belarus and soccer league, but you're not touching this weekend's draft. Why do you think it's a waste of money? And what was the one bet that you said you've ever made uh, NFL draft prop bet? Okay, so uh, if, off the top, the first, the only bet I've ever made on the NFL draft was I bet that Baker Mayfield would go number one. And when the, did you bet that? Right before the draft? So, yeah, so that's what I was about to say. I bet it right before the draft. It was I was sitting in a Buffalo Wild Wings in Harrisonburg and saw that the odds had moved astronomically. And I think I was like five beers in. And if I hadn't been drinking, I probably wouldn't have taken anyway. I, I probably never would have taken it. But I was a little loose and I saw that the odds had moved and I knew like, okay, well, somebody clearly knows something. And Baker's, even though I think this is insane that he's going to go number one, he's clearly going to go number one. The odds wouldn't shift like this otherwise. So I'm going to go ahead and bet Baker to go number one because it's clear that's going to happen. So to you, that wasn't even really betting. Yes, you're betting the NFL draft, obviously. But to you, it was more, and this is what you do all the time, so it's not a change in your strategy, but you're just taking that Vegas knows something, and I'm going to I'm gonna rely on Vegas. So it's not even like you were necessarily betting on a prop bet for the NFL draft. You saw a sure thing, basically, and capitalized on it. Absolutely, yeah. I, I had no—I don't, I don't know anything about Baker Mayfield's draft stock. Nor does anybody else. I mean, how many people in the world, I mean, yeah, we know Joe Burrow's going number one, but how many people actually know like what the Giants are doing at four? Nobody knows. Anyway, so why are you not taking any any props this year, and why do you never take any props? Well, it's exactly what you just said, right? How, how the hell do I know what's going to happen, right? If you listen to me talk about gambling, I believe in two fundamental ideas, or I guess three if you want to count sort of contrarianism just generally as a vibe, but track line movement because people who know more than you and know more than me are going to make giant massive bets professional gamblers make big bets that move lines and if you follow those bets generally speaking you can you can get some good tips and you can come out ahead and the other thing is follow your leverage if you have specific knowledge that gives you expertise over a sports book in a very specific lane like I wish there were more like softball lines during the regular season because I would clean up on that. I'm good with softball. Uh, I'm good with FCS football. I, I slam FCS lines, especially early in the season. I do all this summer work on FCS roster turnover, and it's really hard. And it's really difficult because a lot of times the SIDs haven't even put out updated roster yet. So it's when you have leverage you use that leverage. I have zero leverage in the NFL draft. I don't know when C.D. Lamb's going to get drafted. So that is not, you know, if, if you we, we talk about the movie Molly's Game all the time. And, and if you watch poker, you know the difference between gambling and playing poker. I don't want to gamble, right? I want to play poker. You want to ruin lives. <laughs> I want to ruin lives. That's right. I, I, I need to do something where I feel like I am in more control of the odds and the leverage, and this is just throwing darts, and I'm not interested in that. So, so I don't speaking think. of that, when we were texting about the Jordan doc a few days ago, if we were going to watch it, literally right at that moment, I got a PR email with 
odds for the Jordan doc. And it, it was things, it was things like, um, like, will Kobe Bryant make an appearance? Will Jordan cry? That kind of stuff. Why are they offering that? I mean, how many, there have to be a lot of people that know if something like that is going to happen. I get that there's only one director. There's maybe a couple editors, but still there's got to be a lot of people, whoever invests in that ESPN, somebody, what is stopping them from cleaning up on that? Is that, is that illegal in any way? Um, is it illegal? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I mean, a couple weeks ago, uh, I think this is sort of uh, applicable here. A couple of weeks ago when that 2K tournament started, a lot of the sports books posted odds and they pretty quickly took them down because it was very clear that A, the games were recorded in advance and B, some people knew what the results were. And so the like the very first game was number one seed Kevin Durant because it's not seeded by game playing ability. It's seeded by actual player ability in real life. So Kevin Durant was playing against like Derek Jones or somebody I'd barely even heard of. And the number 16 seed wins and beats Kevin Durant. And people who were in the know and on the inside of that game just bet the shit out of it and cleaned up. And the books went, okay, we can't offer these lines anymore. And they took them all down. And it's a book. I mean, it's not even their fault. And that's why I pulled it up here. Like, um, will Michael Jordan cry? Yes. Um, 120. Will LeBron James be seen? Yes. 120. Uh, will Kobe Bryant be seen? Yes. Um, 300. What is preventing anybody from from cleaning up on that? And it's not even their fault. They're just, I mean, seriously, there's got to be some like EP or somebody that can go on here and say, and they know that Jordan does not cry and they can drop a hundred grand on the no. Would that, obviously that would probably trigger something, but what is stopping that from happening? Well, I think that, I think there's, the, the answer to your question is nothing. There's nothing stopping it so from So why are they offering that odds? That's the more interesting question, I think. That and seems really stupid. Like any other business right now that is tied to sports, I think sports books are, are feeling the tightness of the belt right now. And I think they're just looking for things to offer. And normally, I'm guessing they never would have offered something like this uh, because, like you said, it's it's highly susceptible to somebody with inside information coming in and just destroying their profit margins. But there's just not a lot of stuff to bet on right now. And they want to encourage people to bet. And and I think this documentary is just going to get a monster rating number. I think everybody's thirsty for sports and there's no sports on. And this is really going to, to because of that, just get slammed by by viewers. I mean, it was going to be heavily viewed no matter when it came out. Well, I, I can't think of, I mean, talk about things, even if I'm not an NBA guy. I used to watch it when I was a kid. I'm not like some massive Jordan fan, but I can't think of many more sports figures or topics that have more mass. I mean, everybody knows the Bulls. Everybody knows the 90s Bulls, even if you're not a sports fan. They know that the, what the Bulls did or they know generally about Jordan. He's probably the one of the most recognizable names in the world. The mass appeal of this, that's kind of why I'm asking you because people have to, it's like betting on a movie. Like what's going to happen in a movie? Well, people know, and I know that they keep their secrets pretty tight-lipped and even the actors don't even always know what happens, but I don't see the upside in it. And maybe they they think that they're going to make enough from some jabroni in Bakersfield betting on Michael Jordan crying because it's funny that it would offset any $100,000 bet that an EP might make. 
I, I still don't get that though. At uh, all. I, I would imagine that that's the case. They, they, it, look, if they're putting it out, they think they're going to come out ahead, whether or not they're right. That's a different story. But if they put it out there, they think they're, they're going to be okay. Uh, I would wonder the same thing as you, uh, how are we insulating ourselves from people in the know uh, manipulating this? Because I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast this week, and Bill Simmons talks to one of the, the big producers that, that's editing this documentary. And Bill Simmons knows what's in the footage from like eight years ago when he saw it when he still worked at ESPN. So, so Bill Simmons, who, I mean, he's Bill Simmons, but he's not involved with this project at all, really. And he has seen the footage. So how many people know what's in this footage? Well, and some writers are getting, I, I can't remember which one, it might have been Sports Illustrated or somebody where it said, we've seen the first, I don't know, six parts, and maybe Jordan doesn't cry in the first six parts, but still, you're knocking off, it's ten parts, right? I think it's five weeks, ten parts. Yeah, so you're now lobbying off 60% of that, which obviously would, and yeah, Jordan could cry in the final four parts over two nights. Sure, he could. But you're lobbying off the first 60% of that, which you would think would, would alter the odds. And that, I assume, because this this came out, I think we were texting on Friday, maybe? Friday or Saturday. So I got this email two days ago, and they obviously would have seen those first six or eight parts way before Friday or Saturday. This seems odd to me. Um, I want to stay in money here. I don't want to talk about Jalen Green too much, but you made some interesting points before we hopped on here. For those of you who haven't seen it, Jalen Green... Uh, you know, depending on what recruiting service, he's between the, the, the top rated and the top three, top five player uh, basketball recruit in the country for the 2020 class. He announced late last week that he was not going to play college basketball. He would instead uh, go to the G League with a $500,000 contract. A few things here, and I don't want to get too deep into the college basketball piece of it because I don't think people are really craving college basketball content at this moment, but I still think there's a little bit to be talked about in there were a lot of people, actual college basketball insiders, saying this is a disaster for college basketball. You're going to lose so many players to this if they start suddenly signing $500,000 contracts. You and I both think that's outrageous. I don't want to spend that much time on it. I don't think that that taking off, like I said to you before the show, if we just lobbed off the top 25 players of every class and just pretend they didn't exist, and then the other ones just trickled down. So instead of Kentucky getting the top-ranked player in the class – they get now the, the 25th ranked player in the class. I don't see how that would change. I am certain we wouldn't even notice any sort of diminished product. We're on board with that, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't get that stance at all. Well, I just, I wonder if it's, I wonder what's really going on here. And, and I'm not accusing anybody of of any real dirty or nefarious beliefs or anything. But I, I think, as a general rule, we. We don't like new stuff. We don't like people who break rules. And we don't like young people who have more money than us. I, I think so you think as that's society, driving the, the hysteria over college basketball is screwed? You think that's what's driving it? Yeah. I mean, because we're I, almost lashing out at something? There's a lot of historical evidence behind this. Go back to the 90s when you know 18-year-olds were going straight to the NBA. Kevin Garnett does it and everybody freaks out, right? But, you know, he's Kevin Garnett and he's he's 6'10 and okay, I guess that makes sense. But then, like, guards start to do it. And you're like, well, guards are doing it. You got to go to school, man. You got to get that education. And then, like, that, you know, there, there's, there's some, there's a bunch of backlash 
and it all kind of settles down. And then we stop letting 18-year-olds go to the NBA. So now we have a new normal, which is you got to go to college. You can't go straight to the NBA. But then the one-and-done stuff starts to happen, and people start freaking out about the one-and-dones. And, done's. and uh, you, look, you got to stay in school. You went to school. You got to stay in school. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And now one-and-done is just sort of the norm, and we don't care anymore. And now the new thing is people bypassing school completely. We're going to go straight to the D-League. We're going to make, I want to make like a little bit of money. Maybe my, my family needs a little bit of money. $500,000 when we talk about professional sports, not that much money. But for an 18-year-old, that's a lot of money. So I don't What's have the a number there? What's the number there? Going back to what we talked about before, what is, if Jalen Green had gotten $3 million, do you think the there would actually be more outrage because people would say, really, Jalen Green is worth $3 million? Or if he got $50,000, what's the number there? Or is the number almost irrelevant? It's I think more, it's almost irrelevant. Yeah, I, say, I don't say think your point again that you said before the show that that young rich people make people uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's look if Jalen Green went to the D League and got a five thousand dollars signing bonus, do you think anybody would care? Why do people even care at all? Well, you don't know I mean, who that's Jaylen a whole Green. other conversation though. Right? I like, follow I follow college basketball and college basketball recruiting pretty closely. My extent of Jalen Green is his 247 sports page. I haven't watched any highlights of him. I haven't followed his recruiting that closely at all. If you had, if he didn't exist tomorrow and I didn't know about this, I wouldn't have missed him. I might have been like, hey, wasn't there that kid from Prolific Prac? What happened to him? It wouldn't have mattered to me, and I'm certain that it wouldn't have mattered to any other college basketball fan in the country. Maybe the team of, I think he was like considering Oregon and, and Auburn or something. Maybe those teams might miss him. But you wouldn't care. So why does it matter now? I mean, I, I don't I don't have a good answer for you. It's That's the libertarian argument in me, right? It's just like, hey, why do any of us care about any of this? Like, what? Like, why? Just how ridiculous is it that we, like, sit around and have conversations about where people are going to go to school? Like, this 18-year-old is making weird. 500 grand. Good for you. You did something right. Do you think it has anything to do with the coronavirus? When all these people are struggling, all these people are getting laid off, millions of people on unemployment, everybody's waiting for their stimulus check. Do you think that impacts any of this? Or if this was a normal year, people would still be saying, my God, 500 grand for an 18-year-old? This is going to destroy college basketball. If coronavirus never existed, this would still be happening. I'm you think 100% it would be, confident. So you don't think it has anything to do with an 18-year-old getting a $500,000 contract when everybody's going unemployed? I don't I don't see why that matters at all. Good no, for him. No, because if this... If there was no coronavirus, this would still make ESPN. This would still be in the news, and then people would still be reacting to it and saying, this is tearing apart the fabric of college basketball, which it's not. What would the number be for you if you were in his position? Um, so, yeah, he's he's the third-ranked player in the country, uh, second-ranked combo guard. Let's so you're, you're having every offer from any school in the country. You can go anywhere and play college basketball for a year or two years. What is the number for the G League to come to you and say, "Come play for us instead"? Is it a hundred thousand dollars? Would you need five hundred grand? What's the number for Chase Kitty? I mean, I feel like if if I'm him, right? Because for it, so if it's me, like I'm going to school because I wanted to go to school. I and I needed that, and for five hundred thousand dollars would not stop you. No, I would want to go to school if it was me. But I don't have dire financial need. I don't, you know, I don't know his situation. I don't know all of the specifics of it. 
But if I was, you know, if if I'm some great basketball player and, and I was not a great basketball player, I was an okay basketball player. <laughs> there there were no D1 scholarships for me. Uh, you lived at the elbow. Yeah, just 12 foot high post jump shot. Give it to me every time. What what's the number then? Uh, what would I, be your number? What I would be concerned about is like wouldn't you be worried that you were capping yourself too low at 500,000. Like, I, I know we're still in the early stages of this straight to the D League instant payday thing, but $500,000, like I said, for a professional athlete is not all that much. So I would wonder if he left money on the table just to take the sure money that was right in front of him. And again, I don't know what his financial situation is. So maybe he looked at half a million dollars and went, perfect. That's what I need right now. Let's make this happen. I'm not going to sit here and negotiate, but I would wonder if there was more money on the table. If it was me, I would wonder if I could make, if I could be a millionaire at 18. Like that's something I would, the status of it, I, I would probably try to chase, even though ultimately, you know, that doesn't really matter that you can say you're a millionaire at 18. If you're a professional basketball player, you're going to make more money. Like, so yeah. Remember before the show when I asked you if you had to leave right now? We're talking here it's, it's noon, um, noon Eastern on Sunday. This this episode won't air probably till till Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. But we'll say on noon Sunday, you had to walk out your door, go to the airport, hop on a flight to Mumbai, India, get there, get a ham sandwich, and come back. And you said you would do it for what, like thirty five dollars? But now you won't go to the G League for five hundred grand. Well, what am I'm I missing not, here? I'm not doing anything today. You know, like I, I can fly to India. I don't care. It, obviously, the the big what's retort, the number? The the big retort would be like, what about coronavirus? I don't care. I'm young and healthy. What's the number? Like, what's um, the number? Uh, and don't play this. Well, it depends on if you do this and the layover. And that's all that. that's, that's of, you showing the, how much you know me. Uh, the type of the the type of the bread for the ham sandwich. What kind of cheese were you? Using? A nice like up. rye. Um, you know, knock twenty. What's I, the number? Well, here's the thing. Your I'm flight playing... is paid for. Your Uber is paid for. The right. ham sandwich is paid for. What is the number? Is the plane empty? I would think of... No, but it, it's it's lightly packed. I think they are limiting people on airplanes. But like, you have I've, your got own the, row. I've got the area to myself. You've got your own row. I've never been to There's... Mumbai. I don't, even, I don't even know if I need money for this. I might just do it. You don't get to go there. You land and you turn around. Yeah, but I still get to say that I went there. I've never been out of the country. What? Yeah. No. So I don't think I need to get paid for this at all. I'll just do it. Just pay for my but flight. But being in an airport doesn't gonna, count. Gonna, like if you land somewhere and then just leave, that doesn't count. Yeah, but I was still out of U.S. airspace. I've never done that before. Just but yeah, it doesn't count. Me. You can't say, yeah, I've been to India. But I have been to India. Where is a layover that you've had somewhere? Um, like one time I had a layover in Detroit. I've never been to Detroit. Well, you have. You had no, a I haven't. There. You were in That Detroit. doesn't count. That doesn't count. What's your number for Mumbai? I really, you know, enough money that I can get drunk on the plane. That's about what I need. How many how many glasses of, of cab do I need to get drunk for the 36-hour round trip to Mumbai? That's we'll the give you the house cab for free. Oh, then yeah. Drinks are just, free. Just point me to the airport. I don't, I don't need money for that. $75, you'd do it? Oh, sure. Yeah. 
That's a lie. I don't buy that at all. But, okay, but here's the thing. I know I can. It's the same argument I was making with with you know before. You're wasting. You're I know I can two, get I, more money out of you for this. So shouldn't I negotiate for more money? But the truth no, is, it's, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. It's a situation where you sandwich. give me the number, you tell me the number, and I say yes or no. But I guess if I say no, then you just say okay. I'll just. But chill the and rich honest the answer today. is, I would do this for like no money. So that that almost like destroys the game. So I feel like I need to give you a better number now. So I'll do it for ten thousand dollars. No, I wouldn't do it for ten grand. No way. But I, the the context that matters here is I'm single. I have no kids. I live in an apartment. Like there's nothing stopping me from leaving my house right now and going to India. We'll be back over the weekend after the draft. In the meantime, check out previous episodes. I had Brett McMurphy on last week, Ben Bartsch, the defensive lineman, excuse me, offensive lineman, uh, D3 St. John's was on over the weekend. A lot of good guests lately, or send us your unpopular opinion at High Motor Pod. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter Cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in